thank you for uh, allowing us to be here today. Thank you for uh, your provision in every way. We, uh, we do lift up those who, who are not with us today, uh, who would like to be, and ask that you bring them peace and healing, uh, that they may rejoin us again. And uh, we thank you for the modern technology that allows us to still uh, reach out uh, to anyone who uh, would like to be uh, a part of us virtually and who can uh, participate that way. So thank you, Lord. It's a wonderful time in which we live. Open our hearts as we hear your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Somebody, uh, I've heard, I've heard this a few times, I, I guess, throughout my life, but, uh, but it's, it's a funny story. And it's a story about a, a rabbi and a priest who went fishing, and one day they invited uh, a pastor friend to go with them fishing, and. So they get out to the place where they're fishing and they, they take the boat out a little ways from the shore and they left their stuff on the shore. So a little ways in, uh, the priest gets up, walks across the water, gets his lunch and comes back to the boat. Well, the pastor is looking at that and thinking, I don't believe I saw what I just saw. How did he do that? I mean, are they even saved? Well, a few minutes, a few minutes later, the rabbi gets up, gets out of the boat, walks across the water, and come gets his lunch, and comes back to the boat. And the pastor's going, "Okay, now I, I, if they can do it, I can do it. I, I'm no, I'm not going to be shown up by these two guys." So he gets out of the boat, splash, he's in the water. So the priest looks at the rabbi and says, do you think we should have told him about the rocks? <laughs> of course, we have that story. We have that joke because of what Jesus did. Jesus once walked on the water, and it's one of those miracles that even people who don't know a whole lot about the Bible have heard about. And you might even have heard, I've even heard people say something to the effect of, well, he thinks he walks on water. And they make that because they, they uh, you know, that's something that we know that Jesus did. And, and it was a particular display of his power that, that is kind of famous. His disciples did many of the same miracles that Jesus did. Through God's power, of course, they cast out demons, they healed the sick, they raised the dead. But you don't hear about you don't hear about them walking on water. Well, that is except for Peter. You know, we, we, we think about Peter falling in, but he walked on water first. And Jesus uh, called him out and and, uh, and he came. And he actually did. In fact, uh, we even have a, uh, we talked last week about the food being multiplied. Uh, we even have examples in the Old Testament where, where that was done. The prophet Elijah, Elisha rather, did that. 
But this one thing, other than Peter getting out for a few minutes there with him, is, is a miracle that is, uh, is unique to Jesus. And of course, Peter did that because Jesus was there and allowed him to do it. And when he took his eyes off of Jesus, that's when he had a problem. But why do we have this particular account of Jesus walking on the water in, in three of the four gospel accounts? There's clearly something that is important about this story that everybody felt they needed to repeat it. Or, or Luke actually doesn't repeat it. It's in Matthew, it's in Mark, and it's in John. Well, clearly, it, it shows his power over nature. Each author adds a little bit of detail to this account that helps us understand everything that was going on. John's account is the most brief, the one that we're going to look at today, because we've been studying the book of John this year. But it serves his purpose. And his purpose is a revelation of I am. As you remember from what we've been studying, Jesus has just fed 5,000 people using a kid's lunch. And John gave us details that complete the story that we know. That's where we learn about where the five loaves and the two fish came from. He also lets us in on what Jesus was doing, that Jesus had a greater purpose. And as we continue on through chapter 6, we'll, we'll finalize or, or help to see what Jesus was doing. When Jesus multiplied, we talked about it last week, when he multiplied the, the, the bread and fish there, it says in verse 4, he, because the Passover was coming, the Passover was coming, so Jesus did this, because he is about to uh, to give a long-running lesson that's going to spread over some time here about himself as the Passover sacrifice, himself as the bread of life. So John kind of lets us in on that. And this water-walking incident almost seems like a like, kind of like a bridge from one part of the, of the lesson to the other. But John records it in order to once again reveal a facet of who Jesus is. It's also recorded, as we've said, in, the, in Matthew chapter 14 and Mark chapter 6. John's a little bit short on detail here. Get used to my papers being this way. But and uh, kind of interest, conspicuously missing uh, from, from Mark's account as well as John's account is Peter's little escapade. Uh, but that's, not, that's because John is doing something different here. That's already been written down. He's doing something different. He's providing just enough for us to, uh, to understand what's going on and so that we can see who Jesus is. He's he kind of, it's almost like a bridge taking us to the next thing, the next part of Jesus' lesson. But yet not missing the opportunity to show us once again Jesus' power over nature and seemingly even over the laws of physics. So let's go ahead and read 
from chapter 6. I'm just going to read verses 15 through 21. So Jesus, aware that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew to the mountain by himself alone. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. And after getting into a boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. For it had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. In addition, the sea began getting rough because a strong wind was blowing. Then when they had rowed about 25 or 30 stadia, they saw Jesus They saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. So they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Now we talked a minute ago and then last week about the so, or the therefore, depending on your translation that was back in verse 4. Well, here in verse 15, or in verse 14, rather, or 15, I should say, we have another one that's based on what happened in verse 14, where they were saying, this must be the prophet. And of course, they, you know, they were making a messianic reference there because of what Moses said, uh, God, God is going to send you a prophet like me. And so they're looking at him as maybe this prophet that Moses was talking about. But they're not content to wait and see. Uh, they're they're going to try to take matters into their own hand and make him king. But it's not time for him. He is indeed going to be the ruler. He is indeed going to be the king. He is the king. But his time to rule is not just yet. He knows what they're planning to do. And so he... He withdraws. They, he is going to be king, but they completely misunderstand. That in order for him to do what he needs to do, he's not going to become their immediate ruler. He's in fact going to be their sacrifice. And then that's what the rest of the chapter uh, is, is sort of bringing us to. As he talks about himself being the bread of life. So what exactly happened out there? And we can put all of the accounts together, kind of like we did last week, and sort of get a, a chronology of what happened. They were, they fed the 5,000 people, uh, 5,000 plus, could have been, could have been as many as 15,000. We don't know exactly. We just know that there were 5,000 men, roughly 5,000 men, and then there were women and children that were there too. But after this is all over and after they've cleaned, picked up the 12 baskets, they, uh, Matthew 14 and Mark 6 tell us uh, that Jesus actually sent the disciples away, sent them, sent them ahead, uh, told, them, told them to go ahead of him, and then he stayed there and dismissed the crowds. And then after he dismissed the crowds, 
he went up on the mountain to pray. And later on in that evening, it was uh, it was apparently dark when when they left, based on chapter seventeen or based on verse seventeen rather, what we just read. Now, one might think when you're reading this that just from John's account, well, that they got tired of waiting. They went down and they were uh, there, ready to ready to cross. And they thought he was going to come, and they kept waiting, and it got dark. And now they got to cross in the dark because he never did show up, or they just got tired of waiting on him, and decided they'd just go anyway. But that's not really what it's saying here. And we can we can get to that by by reading the other accounts. Uh, we know from the others that Jesus had already told them. You need to go on. In fact, if they did wait, they shouldn't have. And that might be how come they got in a storm. But again, we don't, we, we, I don't really want to draw too much from that because we don't really have enough information to know that's what's happening. And that's not the primary th thrust, I don't think, of what John is trying to tell us. But because all of this would have happened late in the day, so it was probably going to get dark pretty soon anyway. But this this wind blew in, or this storm blew in, and they kept going. They went ahead, they they launched out. They kept going, and they were about three or four miles out in the middle of the lake when Jesus sees sees them. And it was about 3 to 6, the fourth watch of the night had been about 3 to 6 o'clock in the morning. So somewhere after 3 a.m., uh, and, you know, even at a full moon, I, don't, I doubt Jesus saw them with physical eyes that far away. Obviously, the Lord showed him. Uh, of course, he is the Lord, but you know, the Father showed him, the Holy Spirit showed him, uh, that, uh, that they were out here struggling. And so, he, he, planned, he heads out there. <laughs> and the interesting thing about it is as he's walking out there, now, this is not a short walk. We've already said it's three or four miles from where they are. And it's, it's, it's the wind's blowing. But it's, you know, Jesus is just taking a stroll out to where they're at. Uh, I guess it would be kind of scary if you saw that. He's obviously moving faster than they're able to move, despite having uh, no visible means of, of power to, to get there. And he's walking. I always try to picture this in my head when I hear this story, because you know it, the wind's blowing. There's waves. It says that he's walking on the water. Well, I'm picturing, you know, somebody walking on the surface of the water. Well, the surface of the water is moving. There's big old waves and stuff. And he's not. You know, I, I seriously doubt he's getting wet. So he he must be kind of walking above all of this. Now, no wonder they thought they were seeing a ghost. But the interesting thing that Mark tells us is that he was intending to pass right on by. 
why in the world was he intending to pass right on by? He's been shown that they're struggling, and he's headed out there, but it says that he planned to, he planned to pass them by. That's in uh, Mark 6, 48. He must have known that he would be seen. Uh, he was close enough for him to hear his words when he spoke to them and have this whole conversation with Peter that we learn about in Matthew, where Peter gets out of the boat and, and starts to come to him. Now, here's what I think. Now, I'm, I'm going to press preface to make sure I say that, that it is what I think, uh, as opposed to uh, you know something that necessarily came from spiritual insight. But what I think is that Jesus expected that when they saw him, they would recognize him because of what he was doing and that they would take courage from that and they would exercise the faith that he had already taught them to exercise. You remember, this is not the first time that the disciples have been in a storm. It's not in the book of John, but in the book of Matthew and in the book of Mark, you find another storm that they were in where Jesus was in the boat with them and he was asleep in the back. And they come to him, oh, goodness, we're going to die. Don't you care? We're going to die. And he gets up and he speaks to the storm and it stops. And he said, where's your faith? And so I think that what's happening here and the reason why he was planning to pass by them was he expected them to see him and take courage and, 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 and calm the storm for themselves, maybe. Or at least know that they were going to be safe, that they were going to be care, taken care of, because there's Jesus. They'd already seen him do it once before. But that's not what happened. They react in terror. They're, 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 they're frightened. They think they're seeing a, a, a ghost. And, you know, like we said, might understand why. That, that would be their response. So Jesus then identifies himself. And this, I think, might summarize this whole passage. Because there, one way to translate what he said is, I am, do not be afraid. I am, as we know, is the personal name of God. Jesus has already made it quite plain that he and the Father are one. And so for him to say that, well, he said a mouthful. I am. Do not be afraid. Of course, then we have Peter's challenge that John doesn't record that we find in Matthew that we've already talked about quite a bit. Peter gets out of the boat, walks on the water for a little while, uh, then starts to notice the, the wind and the waves and gets scared. And so Jesus lifts him up. Sounds to me like he made it almost to where, where Jesus was at. Because uh, Jesus, you know, it doesn't say, of course, you know, this is just conjecture, but it doesn't say anything about Jesus having to move. Sounds like he made it almost to Jesus before he lost his nerve. And so Jesus reached down and pulls him up. And they both walk back and get in the boat. And the wind stops. All the Gospels tell us the wind stops. But what John tells us is that immediately they were at the shore. 
So it sounds to me, it sounds to me and other scholars that I read like there was another miracle here. That as soon as Jesus got in the boat, they just skipped the rest of the trip and landed right where they needed to be. So they were amazed. Now the interesting thing that Mark tells us in uh, 652, it says, For they had not gained any insight from the incident with the loaves, for their hearts were hardened. By this time, they should have been they should have been in a better place. But like all of us, they they hadn't picked up on it yet. They hadn't come to a full understanding of just who it is that was teaching them. So what is John's point? I think John's point is not necessarily to tell a great story. He doesn't spend much time on this. And, he, and he's writing in light of what the previous authors have written that uh, what people would already know. But he tells us what he feels we must know to understand what happens next. And that is that this is indeed the Lord of creation. It puts further emphasis on who Jesus is. He is the Lord of his creation. Even the laws of physics bend to his will. Or either that, or as, as some have speculated, and what I personally think, he simply employed uh, laws that are beyond our, our understanding, things that we don't know about, in order to, to, to do what he did. Every, everything has an explanation. I actually agree with the naturalists on that. The problem, what, what they don't see is that the explanation is a lot bigger than they think it is. The explanation is God Almighty. But there, there, yeah, he, however he did it, it shows that he is uh, his Lord even over nature. And when they get to the other side, the crowd doesn't know how he got there. And, and then he's not actually going to tell them. Uh, he goes on to, to make that take that opportunity to teach the rest of his lesson, which we're going to get to next week. He's setting the stage for what he's about to say next. So what do we do with this? We always try to get to some application. One thing I'd like to talk about for a minute is, again, we've been using the scripture to, to study the scripture. And we've been looking at different references to see uh, how they fit together. Uh, we continue on from last week. And one of the things that we can learn is to guard against assumption. Now, our reaction to something that we read is at least in part conditioned by our culture. We read something, we have a certain thought about it because of, of, of our own experience and, and the way that we've been taught to think about things because of the, the era in which we live. But the authors, readers, may not have had the same response. So it's important when we think, look at these things to really 
try to understand what it is that the author was really saying. Now, I'm saying all of this because I want us all to be good students of the Bible, but I also don't want to make it sound so difficult to, to read and understand the Bible that you feel like you can't do it. That's not what I'm saying at all. God's Word is active and alive and when you read it, when you expose yourself to the truth, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. And you don't have to be a seminary scholar, which I'm not, by the way, uh, in order to understand what God wants to show you through his word. Just read it. Read it and pray. And yes, as, you, uh, as you're able, study and try to understand it better because it is our manual for life. So, yeah, we try to understand the author's intent and, and try not to read into the text uh, our own impressions, but rather try to find out what, what actually is being said and what's trying to, what God is trying to communicate. You know, there is little room, and one of the things that we like to do in Bible studies and so forth uh, these days is we'll all go around the room and we'll say what, We'll look at a verse and we'll say what it means to us. Well, that's uh, that's okay to a point. God can give you different insights. There's more than one truth packed all throughout the scripture. But the most important thing to know about uh, any given scripture is not what it means to us, but simply what it means. Because it's the truth. And there's only, the truth is the truth. So make use of resources. Whenever I'm preparing these things, I always look at uh, several different commentaries and, and uh, studies to try and, and, and make sure, especially because I don't have that background, to try to understand and make sure that I really have uh, in mind what's really being said. And, and we should all do that to the degree that we're able. We have access to so much. You know, that used to involve, I've told this story before, I remember my dad uh, teaching a, a, a youth group one time, a, a VBS, vacation Bible school, and he brought all these books and set them on the table, and, and you look at this, and you look at this, and you look at the, this, this word in the dictionary, and then you go... Uh, uh, to the concordance and find out where where it is. And you, anymore, you don't have to do all of that. You just sit at your computer. Go to a place like uh, BibleStudyTools.com or BibleGateway.com. All that stuff is right there in front of you. Just a click away. We are we live in a uh, in a wonderful world. Take advantage of, of what God has given us. Uh, but, you know, having said that, I also want to point out that not all those things are equal. Uh, you will find, and I often do find, uh, as I'm doing study, completely opposing views on the same piece of Scripture. And it's important to listen to the Holy Spirit and know the Bible for yourself so that when you, when you see something, you can know, well, you know what, that doesn't sound, that's wrong. I don't care how important this guy is. That's wrong because I know what the scripture says. And don't ever be afraid to feel that way. Uh, because for one thing, we'll all be figuring this out until Jesus comes back. 
uh, we're not all of it, not any of us know everything there is to know. But if it clearly contradicts the scripture, it's just not right. And what, one of the things we need to avoid is uh, trying to, if we read something, and I think I've already said this before in a previous talk, but if we read something and we think we understand what it means, but then it, it con contra contradicts something else in the scripture, well, then we know we've misunderstood it. And, and don't, we don't want to fall into the trap, and I've seen so many people do this, and I hope I haven't done it, but I probably have, of taking the scripture that clearly contradicts it and then try to make it say what you want it to say so that it fits with your theology. That's no good either. Pray for discernment. Uh, God says if you ask for wisdom, he'll give it to you. So hear for, listen to the Holy Spirit uh, as, as you study the word and let him teach you. Okay, so let's move on. Let's move on to today's passage. Now we've got three witnesses here in the three Gospels. Each of them are telling the story from a different perspective. Uh, Mark is thought to be the first one that was written. Uh, he is thought to have gotten his material from Peter. And he presents Jesus as the suffering son of God who offers himself as a sacrifice for sins. Matthew's focus is how Jesus fulfills the promises that were made to Israel. And John introduces Jesus as the pre-existing divine word, the self-revelation of Yahweh himself. And there are so many lessons that can be drawn from this account as given by each author, by each writer. But what is it that John is trying to say in this that we have read? John is focused on revealing the nature of Jesus. He is, in this, this section that we call chapter 6, you know, we, that got added in later. They didn't put chapters in their uh, verses in their, in their letters that they wrote. But this that we've kind of blocked off in our Bibles is chapter 6. It's all about Jesus as, the, uh, as who he is and that he is the bread of life, uh, the coming sacrifice for the sins of the world. And this part is simply emphasizing his divine nature, that he is, in fact, who he claims to be. So much so that he has power even over the elements. He is the Lord of the land and the sea. But it is also possible to find truth beyond the primary content. As long as it doesn't value it, as long as it doesn't value as long as it does not contradict anything else, we can find uh, we can find additional truths here. We know from the other accounts uh, that Jesus sent the disciples ahead, and it, it's entirely possible, uh, though it doesn't say this, in, in, it doesn't say this, and we shouldn't use this scripture to teach this necessarily. But it's entirely possible that their delay 
in doing what he told them to do caused them to run into this storm. And we don't know this, but there's certainly a lesson there to do what God says and do it now. We, we do know that the storm came. Now, whether the disciples delayed or not, we do know that they were obeying God. They were doing what he told them to do, and yet they still ran into trouble. God never promised us a smooth sailing all the way from one side to the other. Storms happen as part of, the, of nature, as part of the world that we live in. We're going to hit those things in life that, that try to take us down and try to take us under, and like what we saw in Sunday school today. But Jesus is able to calm the storm. But instead of recognizing their salvation, they saw a ghost. But Jesus, in his mercy, called out to them. And the storm ended when they let him into the boat. And so the next lesson is, we can't reach the other side without him. You know, they had been struggling, they had been rowing uh, probably for several hours, and they weren't making a lot of headway. They're still out there in the middle of the water. When Jesus got into the boat, though, immediately they reached the other side. Jesus is the source of life. Jesus is the means of salvation. Jesus is the only one who can take us where we need to go. And so, finally, let him in. Now, this is, here we are dealing with Jesus' disciples. And it's not that they didn't believe, although they, didn't, they still didn't understand. We learned that throughout the scripture. They still really didn't have a complete understanding. But, but they had accepted him, and they were allowing him to teach them. They, they were following him. They'd already been out and done things in his name. So we can easily compare them to the church today. And the struggles that we go through and that we will go through. And so we don't we want to never forget why it is that we're here and who it is that we serve. Now what we are doing here is meaningless without him. The storms of life will eventually submerge it. And what good is it if we helped a few people along the way, but we never gave them the key to true life? We hadn't done anything. But when we remember who and what we're about, and we make our focus bringing Jesus with us everywhere we go, then we're going to do some good. And on an individual level, we need to let Jesus into our lives. 
even as followers who've already, you know, I don't really like this phrase so much, but uh, followers who've already asked him into our hearts, sometimes we forget to include him in our day-to-day -day lives. We get distracted. We get busy doing other things. We get, uh, we get so concerned, consumed with our problems. All we can see is the wind and the waves. And he might even be showing up over there, uh, uh, come at us, but we don't see him. We see something else that we're afraid of. But when we recognize him for who he is, and we actually let him in the boat, and let him direct our lives, he's able to calm the storms. When we forget about it, when we forget him, the storms overwhelm us. But when we let him in, when we give him control, he is able to calm the storms. Now, are we going to see the end of trouble in this life? Uh, probably not. But we know that life doesn't stop here. Jesus is still calling. I am. Do not be afraid. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I, I pray that uh, wherever people are who may hear this, we, uh, we have the potential to be anywhere in the world. I pray that you would touch their hearts, that you would allow them to see you for who you really are and to let you in. We call you Lord and we choose to let you be the, be the driver of our lives. You take over the ship. You take us where we need to go as individuals and as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.